0: this morning because some of you didn't pray hard enough for snow some of you didn't my parents back home have like a foot of snow um, and it's just incredible I love that kind of snow that blanket snow where it's just you look outside and it feels like Christmas I woke up this morning and started driving and realized it didn't really feel like Christmas and so I was a little disappointed um, but it is good to be in the house of the Lord amen so that's one benefit of it not snowing that much is we get to gather together and not worry about getting out on crazy roads with crazy drivers. So I'm excited this morning. Pastor Eli and I, um, two weeks ago, when we knew we were preaching back-to-back, started having a conversation about what do we want to do? Maybe we want to do like a short series, and we, we landed on this idea of major lessons from minor prophets. And I'm just excited to share If you haven't heard about the book of Habakkuk, you're going to learn about it today. Um, It's a great book. And so that's where we're going to be. If you want to take some time to find that this morning, um, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, But before we dive in, I want to make a bold statement this morning. And the statement is this don't let your New Testament get in the way of your Old Testament. Don't let your New Testament get in the way of your Old Testament. Among many Christians, the claim is that the New Testament is all um, the New Testament is all that is good. It's kind, it's loving, embodied most of all by the person of Jesus Christ, who reveals the friendly face of God. While the Old Testament is a mixed bag, it is has the occasional flash of brilliance, but on the whole, the angry, the vindictive is far more prominent. And some Christians go as far to claim with emphasis they are, that they are New Testament Christians for whom the Old Testament no longer has no longer any authority. But here's the thing. We cannot simply reject the Old Testament writings. Right? Both Malachi 3.6 and Hebrews 13.8 declare that God is the same always and he never changes. The same God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. There is no different, no difference in who he is. I think of it this way. I think the big difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the way in which God chooses to reveal himself. In the Old Testament, he used prophets to speak to the people on his behalf. And in the New Testament, he stepped into time, became flesh, and the person of Jesus Christ. And we got to see the character of God through Jesus That's the difference. And so just don't neglect the Old Testament. Listen, I get it. There's some things in there I'm like, what is happening? Even when I was reading Habakkuk, I'm like, God, I need you to to reveal some things to me. I got some questions myself. But don't just get in your New Testament and say, well, I'm I'm just going to stay over here on this side of the books. Let me step off my soapbox for a second and go back to the message. Today, I want to talk to you about living by faith. Living by faith. So we're going to continue the mini-series of major lessons from minor prophets in the book of Habakkuk. But before we do, let us pray. God, thank you for this morning, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you that you are the same God. You will always be the same God. Thank you for what you've already done through worship this morning. That you've softened our hearts to hear your, your words that you've restored relationships, that you've you've broken chains this morning. Surely, God, you are in this place. So thank you. We're in awe of what you're about to do. We're in awe of what you've already done. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to the book of Habakkuk. Anytime we read Scripture, we have to look at context. If we don't have context, we miss so much of what is actually being done in that, that book. And it's really cool. If you have a study Bible, the work's already done for you. And before you even get to the book, there's a little like two or three pages that give you an overview of the book. And so when you read scripture, it's important that you're looking at these things, understanding who wrote the book, why it was written. If you miss those two things, sometimes you miss the whole purpose of the book. And so Habakkuk... The author tells us in in the context is Habakkuk. And that his writings were aimed at the few who had remained faithful to God. He tried to help them understand how and why God was about to take certain actions against their sinful nation. But the major theme is that the righteous should live by faith. And that you can still rejoice in the Lord even when you don't understand You can rejoice in the Lord even when you don't understand. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Habakkuk asked some hard questions. I think questions that we all resonate with. And so if you take notes this morning, my first point is the perplexed prophet. You see, the beginning of Habakkuk begins with complaint. Habakkuk's complaining to God. Why, why, why? And then at the end, he flips and he's praising God. He asked this question, why injustice? I think it's the same question we ask God today. You can't look out in the world and go and not ask why. Why do things look the way they look? Why are these things happening? Why injustice? Perhaps the greatest expression of undaunted faith ever penned came from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk is unique among the prophets. Because he did not speak for God, uh, for God to the people. A lot of prophets, as you read in the Old Testament, would get something from God. They would, he would go to the people. But Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people. The question we ask ourselves so when we read a book like Habakkuk is, how are we to understand a prophet who turns the table and asks hard moral questions to God? How are we supposed to understand that? Should we expect good, clear answers from Habakkuk? When we read that, should we say, oh, man, I I got it all. I understand it all. Or is it simply enough to worship a God who allows us to ask questions? Is it simply enough to worship a God who allows us to bring our request and questions to him? you got to wrestle with that. The prophet Habakkuk begins his struggle to understand God's purpose with a cry of bewilderment in chapter one. So I'm going to start reading in Habakkuk one. It'll be on the screen as well. My second point is live by faith. And then I'm going to, um, Habakkuk one, one through five says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence? And you will not save. Why do you make me in, uh, see inequity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. That was Habakkuk speaking. And then the Lord answers in verse five. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Habakkuk starts this chapter crying for help because violence permeated his society. Habakkuk dealt with questions that come up when somebody really believes in God, yet looks around and sees that the world doesn't seem to match up. Habakkuk saw this. Especially since he would have remembered that prior times, the prior times of revival under King Josiah, he asked God, Why? Why are you allowing this? You ever ask that question to God? We're gonna deal with that a little bit this morning. You've you've been in a season. You ask God, Why are you allowing this? And this is what Habakkuk is asking God here. Why are you allowing these things to happen? Because Habakkuk knew that God loves justice and and hates oppression. So he questions God. Why allow the violence to take place? And why would he allow the wicked to triumph over the righteous? And God answers, right, like he always does. He goes on after verse 5 to continue answering Habakkuk to reveal That the Babylonians, the epitome of everything Habakkuk, and for God, and God for that matter, detested, would become God's instrument for judgment on Judah. And Habakkuk, once again, did not understand. Because evil would win over righteousness and bad things would happen to good people. Habakkuk goes on to make a second complaint in, verses, or in chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through all the way through 2 1. And he says, The question is, Why do it this way, Lord? And these are both questions that I've asked. I've asked, Why, God? And then I've asked, well, What are you trying to teach me? And why are you doing it this way? Why this way? But in chapter 2 4, there's something so beautiful that happens. I'm going to read it. God said, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. He's telling Habakkuk the righteous should live by faith. To break this down, he says the soul which is lifted up. While the, contents, the context makes this an obvious reference to the Babylonians, the passage introduces the marks which distinguish all wicked from all righteous, regardless of ethic origin. these two opposing characteristics are contrasted. The proud trust only in himself, but the righteous live by faith. The proud trust in himself, and the righteous live by faith. Spurgeon says it this way, wherever pride is found, it is always hateful to God. Why? Because pride is even hateful to men. Men cannot bear another proud man, and hence it is that the proud man who has any sense left often sees that it is so, and he therefore tries to affect manners of modesty. He will seem to be humble when he really is not. If he has a suspicion that all about him will dislike him, if they know him to be proud, but God cannot bear pride. In fact, it is a part of his daily business to put down the proud. You see, God right here is reminding us in Habakkuk that throughout this time of punishment, that throughout the time of, of tribulation, of, of hurt and pain in your life, that there is a correct way of living. It's having faith in who God is. Having faith in his character that's revealed to us in Scripture, that's revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, our faith in God is what separates us from the world. Habakkuk realized that though he did not understand God's ways or timing, he cannot doubt God's wisdom, love, or reliability. My wife and I attended a life group um, years ago, and one of the leaders said something that I, that I carry with me to this day and that I'll never forget. He said, you may not always see God move, in the present, but when you were years down the road, you can look back and you can always say, God was surely there. God was surely here. God moved there. Habakkuk goes on to write his great affirmation of faith in chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the field. Yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. And what is almost a vision Habakkuk saw the Judean countryside desolate, perhaps from the invading Babylonian army or from natural calamity. But in the midst of complete loss, look what Habakkuk does. He doesn't complain anymore, he doesn't just fall down and and, and weep or anything. He gives praise to God. He gives praise to God. Because he saw the problems from what they were and remembered that God was greater than all of it. What about you this morning? Are you seeing your problems for what they are and realizing that you serve a God who is greater than all of it? That no matter what you're going through, God looks at you, he sees you, he walks with you. Habakkuk didn't just practice positive thinking. He didn't just practice positive thinking. He remembered that God was great. Guys, it's saying to yourself, though I may have lost my job, though I may have lost my spouse, though my health may be failing, though I've lost a loved one, that his grace is still sufficient for me, that he loves me, Listen, I know these statements. My wife and I are in one right now. Listen, you go through life, you picture how things should be. You picture how you got it all written down. You're like, man, by this year I'm going to have this, 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 and all of these things. And then when it's not, you want to start to doubt God and His goodness. This was us. We are walking through a season of life that I don't wish upon anyone. If you've ever struggled with infertility, it's a difficult journey. You start to doubt God. You start to doubt his goodness. And without faith, without faith, I'm not sure where we would be. Maybe we'd be in a deep depression. Maybe we'd be envious of all of those around us that don't struggle. Bitter towards the things of God. But instead, we know that His grace has been sufficient for us. That it's not a promise. It's not a promise that this will end anytime soon or yet maybe ever end. But yet there's this gentle impression in my bones that the maker of heaven and earth loves us and that he keeps us. That through this season he's been nothing but loving to us. And some of you this morning are here to hear that God is for you, that God loves you. It's getting sleep again for the first time because God does not slumber. That is watching over you. Christians describe these moments in your life uh, where you experience what they call the thin veil, It is where the barrier between heaven and earthly is porous because the Lord, in his kindness, met someone there. As we have dealt with infertility, we have felt this, where God has gazed upon our pain and met us there. That even in the midst of the worst thing ever, God poured out his love. So I don't know how to explain it this morning, that feeling you get when God meets you somewhere like that. But I do know that it's as if there's a friend there, there's somebody to, to lean your head upon his shoulder, and he never leaves. Listen, people, people are leaving the faith because they have experienced disappointment in Christianity. Feeling that when they prayed, God didn't answer. But what we fail to understand is that disappointment is exactly the place where God wants to meet you. In fact, it's the place where God will grow you in the most profound way. That when you're hurting, when you're in need, when you're disappointed, it isn't time to walk away. It is the time to press further. And, and to break through the veil. To experience God's grace the way that Paul did. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says that my, he told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. There's an importance to having faith. Pain is real, but God is real. You see, faith reminds us that we may not fully grasp God's design for our lives now, but that He loves us. And faith, it's a necessary component of the Christian life. It is belief in the unseen and that there's certainty, in uh, the certainty that unseen things are true. Listen, faith is more than just passive acceptance, it is an act of trust and reliance on God. Hebrews 11.1 one says it this way, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The foundation of our salvation is our faith in Jesus as a son of God. Saved, we have eternal life because of the work he did on the cross. Faith enables us to put trust in God's plans and direction. That no matter what you're going through this morning, when you have trust in God's character and who he is, there's always hope. Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. God is too wise to make a mistake. That the God of the universe has a plan for your life. And he's busy enacting it. Guys, God's not just sitting up there on the throne, not looking at you with love and and joy and, and working. He's not just sitting up there as if somebody wound a clock and just set it off. And God said, okay, when that timer goes off, then I'll start looking at your life and maybe I'll start to work. No, 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 no. God's there for you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. It's the God that we serve. Because we view life by what's immediately in front of us. But God is high above us, and He sees all of life at a glance. He sees both beginning and the end of things. You ever notice we're always wiser after the event happens? But while the crisis is occurring, we are unaware of why we are going through a tragedy but only after we reflect does it strike us that God was there the whole time, that he moved the whole time. And faith believes that God is too kind to be cruel. Did you know over the marble fireplace in the mathematics building of Princeton University, written in original German, is the scientific credo, God is subtle, but he's not malicious. See God is never malicious in dealing with us. Whatever he does, he does for our good and for his glory. Romans 8:28 says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see these verses are as important for what they do not say as for what they do say. They do not say that everything happens for good. They do not say that God causes evil and, they do, and that everything will turn out okay for everyone. That's not what the verse is saying. What they do say is that God is at work, especially in the lives of his children, and that God can and does use all things for his glory, the good and the bad. What it says is that God is moving in your life. Faith believes that God is in control and therefore we can rest in knowing that truth. That God is in control. We get to cast our cares and anxiety upon the Lord and rest knowing that he's got it. He doesn't need me to carry the weight. He doesn't need you to carry the weight anymore. You can give it to him and allow him to show you rest To give you peace. It is our choice in life whether we will let the inevitable suffering and misfortune of life harden us or soften us. See, we can choose to be hopeful or we can choose to be hopeless. We can choose to be optimistic or pessimistic. It's your choice. It's your choice. God gives us that ability. We can find hope in the Lord or we can complain about our circumstances. You can't complain and praise at the same time. You can't complain and praise at the same time. Habakkuk found joy in knowing that God was in control. That's what I want to ask you this morning. Do you find joy in knowing that your God is in control? Faith believes that when we cannot trace the hand of God, we can trust the heart of God. In chapter 3, 19, Habakkuk said, Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. This is the Lord's promise to us that he will keep us on our feet as we travel treacherous paths of life. He may not always get us out of the troubles we want to get out of right away, but he promises to get us through, and he promises to walk through them with us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fiery furnace, and there's another one there. It's another one that joins them in the furnace in fact, people write songs about it now at right? another in the fire. That Jesus has promised to walk with you through the pain. Walk with you when you ask tough questions. Listen, God, God's not going to sit there and go, oh, you're asking some tough questions. I don't know. Listen, God's ready. And He's going to meet you there. I've asked God, listen, I've asked God a lot of tough questions in the last couple years. Three years we've been going through this infertility journey, and I've asked God some serious questions. But every time, he's only been kind. He's only been kind. And what I know is that he's always walked through every step of the way with us. He's been there. And that's his promise to his children, to walk with you through tough times. Like Habakkuk, we must take joy in the God of our salvation. That when we truly don't understand, we can say that our our life is still marked by faith. Some of us today need to be reminded of that promise that God does walk with you. That he sees you, that he hears you, and most of all, that he loves you. That even if the night is dark and the storm is raging on, God's still there. That even when you can't see the hand of God in your life, you can still trace his heart. You he can still know his character, still know that he is good. Do you guys stand? Our God is at work in your life. Habakkuk, when he looked and and, and saw that God was going to do this, he encouraged people to have faith in God's goodness and who he is. Habakkuk could have looked at the situation and, and been depressed and disappointed and all of these things, but in the end, what does he choose to do? To praise the Lord to praise the Lord, that when you're walking through tough times, you give praise to the Lord. You give praise to the Lord. Would you bow your heads this morning? God truly is a work in your lives. But you have to believe it. Two questions as you have your heads bowed and the first one is this will you live by faith will you live by faith will your life be marked as someone who lives by faith will you live by faith and will you trust in the God of your salvation give everything to him this morning and so with every head bowed, I want to just, I want you to raise your hand this morning just to say, you know what, I want my life to be marked by living by faith. If you this morning want to say, yes, God, I'm all in. I want to live by faith. Would you just raise your hand this morning? Yeah. Yeah, amen. 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 I just want to pray as we, as we close service, I'm going to pray this over you guys today. Habakkuk 3, 17, 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I, Will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, my strength, He makes my feet like the deer's, He makes me tread on high places. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning, for the work you've done. God, you see your people. You know their pain. You know their, their, their struggles, God. And I pray that you would move in all of these situations. God, but I also pray that you would remind us what it is to live by faith. To live by faith, Jesus. So thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. That your grace is indeed sufficient for us. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, guys, go and have a blessed Sunday. We love you. We'll see you guys next week.